Thank you for listening to BLC Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. Some years ago, we used to meet in the hall downstairs. We weren't quite as many people. And um, we tackled the book of Nehemiah. And I started out thinking I'll do it for a couple of weeks. And a year later, um, we, we managed to, to, to find out exactly what Nehemiah was saying to us. I'm going to try and do an entire year's worth of sermons in one morning. How much faith have you got? Because according to your faith... <laughs> Just teasing. All right. So here's the story. This amazing guy, this business guy, Nehemiah. How God used not somebody from the church platform to shift and change the nation, but he used someone who was in the marketplace. And he had quite a different career over the, over the years, one of them was actually quite interesting. His job was to taste the finest wines. He was the cupbearer to the king. Now, there were some ups and downs to this job. Because you would obviously taste that the wine was good and everything was, you know, up to standard. But there was another function because in case one of the king's enemies tried to poison the king by poisoning the wine, the cupbearer got it. Your life was on the line. So, quite an interesting career. But he moves across into a whole other area and the Lord uses him quite profoundly. Just to set the background... In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. You don't want to go that far back. A whole bunch of people lived, did some good things, did some really bad things. Along comes a big flood, a guy called Noah, there's an ark. Start over again. And God calls a guy called Abram, later changed his name to Abram, out of Ur. And he comes around into the land of Canaan. And he walks around and God says, I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to give you a land. And his feet walk the length and the breadth of that land. And he didn't know that that was actually going to be the exact place that, he, that his, um, uh, his children's 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 children were going to actually have as their specific place. And that God would build a city there and put his name in that place. Eventually becomes Jerusalem. Anyway, so you've got Abram, you've got Isaac, he's got a son, he had another son which he shouldn't have had, Ishmael, and we've got a lot of problems even to this day out of this whole thing. There's a guy called Jacob. Jacob starts off quite badly. In fact, he comes out of the womb and he's a grasper because the word Jacob means deceiver. And he was trying to deceive and grasp at his brother Esau. Esau didn't saw what was coming. 
And he was actually a little bit, um, he got confused, you know, between being a hunter and a vegan and all this kind of stuff. And he sold his birthrights for some soup. And um, anyway, so Jacob, Jacob cons him out of the whole deal, you know, He's a hairy man, so he puts on skin and his dad releases a blessing and all these crazy things. He's got to hightail it out of there, but God fixes him because God will always fix a fix to fix you. And so he goes and works for his uncle Laban, and guess what uncle Laban does? Tricks him, deceives him. Yeah, so he works seven years so that he might marry Rachel. But Eskim wasn't working that night. <laughs> and in the darkness, he traded. And so in the morning, in the light, he saw, oh, it's Leah. That wasn't the plan. So Uncle Laban says, don't worry, work another seven years, and then you can have both of them. It's the year of double, 2020. It's bad. I know, it's bad. It's really bad. Anyway, between Leah and Rachel and the strange customs there, they have a whole bunch of kids. We start getting the heads of the tribes. The one guy, who was a prophetic guy, was a dreamer. But the rest of the, the chaps didn't like him. And he said, you know, I'm going to be you know, you're going to bow down to me, I'm going to be high up, whatever. And they didn't like this. So they were going to get rid of him. And they changed the plan halfway through because along comes a caravan, as in camels. And um, he gets sold into slavery and he goes down to Egypt. But God puts him there many years later because there's famine, there's drought. Sound familiar? There's famine, there's drought. They go down to Egypt, the family. Jacob sends the sons to go and get grain because they've run out in Canaan. And there they bump into Joseph because Joseph has gone from the prison to the palace. And he's now overseeing in a foreign nation the welfare of that nation, but God also uses him that he would bless his own people. So Jacob and the rest of the, the brothers, they then come down to Egypt and they settle in a place called Goshen and they're looking after their flocks there. And they begin, because the Lord favors them, to grow and grow and grow. And from one little clan over 400 years, they grow into over a million people might be closer to two, two and a half million actually by the time they cross the Red Sea. God's blessed his people, but it was because Joseph was there. More pharaohs came after the one who was in charge when Joseph was there. They didn't know the great arrangements and the agreements, and so then they put the Israelites under pressure and enslaved them. And it was terrible. But the cries of God's people reached his ears. And so he sent to deliver Moses, and Moses 
goes there, you know, the whole confrontation and the ten plagues, all this kind of stuff. And the people go out, Red Sea, all these miracles. They wander around the wilderness for a little bit. They encounter the Lord at Mount Sinai. And the people are afraid. Even though prophetically it had been promised that they would come out and they would worship God at the mountain. When they got to the place of worshiping God, they were so scared. I nearly said bad word, scared. (laughs) That they said, we are not going up the mountain. Moses, you go. And then you come down the mountain and tell us what. And then we'll do it. But it was never the intention for the people to stay away and only the priests to go up into the presence. It was always God's intention that God's people would encounter him and would worship him. That he would have a nation of priests. It's amazing. Always God's God's intention. They get to the edge of the promised land, send in the spies, 12 of them, 10 come back and they are bangbruk, scared. Two of them say, no, no, God has given this to us. There might be giants, but we can take it. Bring it on. And uh, they have a, a momentary lapse into democracy. And they take a vote and the people say, no, we're not going there. And that cost them 40 years of walking around in the wilderness. Eventually, Joshua is ready. And 40 years later, they cross over another flooded river, the Jordan. And they go in and they go and take what God said is for you. And in the justice and the mercy of God, the people that were living there, their wickedness had come up like a stench before the Lord. And God was using, as he brought the Israelites in there, to sort out their wickedness and to, in a sense, cleanse the land from all their idolatry and their false worship. They turned to the Lord for a bit. And then the next generation forgets what God had done for the previous generation. And then they start doing their own thing because it's the promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and money. I mean honey, new wine, all this kind of stuff. It's fantastic. But they go off and do their own things and they didn't obey completely and fully. Remember that blessing that I read you this morning? If you fully obey. They didn't fully obey. They half-heartedly obeyed. And they then embraced some of the idolatry, some of the false worship of these other tribes and and, uh, false religions. And so it infiltrated their true worship. And so God would then stir up somebody to come and just give them a little, it was still legal in those days. And so we get the cycle of people going off doing their own thing and then God sort of shaking them back to their senses and they turn back to the Lord. And they go through this whole cycle and you eventually, they don't want to have a, a, a prophet judge looking over them, they want a king because they want to be like the other nations. Isn't it ridiculous? Instead of the other nations wanting to be like them, they turn it the wrong way around. So they have Saul, uh, he, 
turned out a little bit miserably in the end. Then David, a man after God's own heart, not perfect. In fact, full of flaws. Ah, but like Trump. Anyway, <laughs> he wasn't perfect. Then comes Solomon, wisest guy ever lived, and he makes the most bizarre errors. Like, yeah, it's not going to how many wives and concubines. Anyway, and then you get another son, Jeroboam, and he's just a nasty piece of work. And then it just goes horrible. The kingdom divides in two. There are 12 tribes, two in the south, stay Judah, and 10 in the north, and that keeps the name Israel. But these guys, even though the Lord sends prophet after prophet after prophet, they are not serving the one true God. The blessings, they didn't keep to that. Because the Lord said, however, these are the blessings if you follow my commands. But if you rebel, if you reject, if you choose to do it your way instead of God's way, then these things will come upon you. And there's a whole list of terrible things like curses. And so they were warned right at the start. They knew what they were getting themselves into. But they, they still, in the wickedness of their hearts, went their own way. So God would raise up prophets. And he would send them Jeremiah and Isaiah and a whole bunch of guys. And warn them, warn them. Turn back, turn back. God will be merciful. He will be gracious. Just turn back over decades. But the people still did their own thing. So what happened was that the Lord then raised up, first you had the Syrians, and later you get the Assyrians. And they come and they ransack the nation and there are waves of these war campaigns. The the, the Assyrians, their particular mode was to come and take people and then scatter them all over the known world. So there, it was like the diaspora. Later on, you get the, the Babylonians and, uh, or the Chaldeans. You've got Nebuchadnezzar and these guys, right? And they come and they sort out not just Israel, but they come down to these lower two tribes, Judah, and that's where Jerusalem is. And they have a siege against it and they break down the walls and they destroy the temple. And then they cart everybody, including the, the temple treasures and whatever, and they take it back to Babylon. See, what they did was they brought everybody to one place. They didn't scatter them, they brought them to one place. Now they're in Babylon. And in this place of absolute uh, hardship and, and, and they were kind of chastened of the Lord. In this heart of darkness, so to speak, the Lord raises up even a guy like Daniel. And he's raised to a prominent place in the government as an advisor, helping the enemy succeed. Interesting. Pray for people rising up into places of political authority and influence. We need believers in all the political parties. I read a book during my sabbatical, uh, 17 Questions You Should Know, something like that. Um, 
and about what's going on. Will South Africa be okay? Will South Africa be okay? I was, oh, thank you, Jesus. We have got strong believers in all the political parties. And you know, they make the top 10 list of MPs that are serving across the spectrum. And it's believers rising to the top. And guess what? The guy who's writing is a non-believer. This is what we're praying for, people. Anyway, so Daniel's there. And um, what happens is that Persia then rise up, rises up and beats the, the Babylonians. And the Persians have a different strategy in terms of what they do with conquered nations. And he said, listen, guys, we've got no quarrel with you guys over there in, in Canaan, so why don't you guys go back? And so there were three waves of people going back to Canaan, under Zerubbabel, under Ezra, and under Nehemiah. I told you I didn't need to give you the backstory. So Nehemiah is back there, and he's been called of the Lord because he heard a report from back home, because he was still cupbearer to the king. Other waves had gone back, but some people still remained and stayed because they'd, they'd done well. Yeah? Do you know the, the verse about pray for the prosperity of the city that it might go well with you? That verse was for them in Babylon. Pray for the prosperity of Babylon when they were in captivity that it might go well with you. And because the blessings of Abram were on these people, they set up shop anywhere and they make money. And if you're a good businessman, it's hard to leave a good opportunity. So not everybody wanted to go back in the first wave. Or the second wave. So then you get the third wave eventually. So Nehemiah, he gets news that the gates still been burnt, broken down, the walls broken down. Jerusalem's in a mess. Eskim is broken. There's drought. The water services, I mean, talk about leaks. The water's not there. The sewerage is just, well, it's just dysfunctional. And uh, inflation is through the roof. The loan sharks are putting so much pressure on their own people because people have got nothing, they've got to turn to the loan sharks. This is chapter 9, I think. This is all in Nehemiah. Folks, if we think we're facing tough times, the guys in the days of Nehemiah had exactly the same. In fact, we're far better off now than what these guys were. So Nehemiah, he approaches the king and against all protocols, he could have actually lost his head. He doesn't put on a fake smile. So his face is downcast and the king kind of like, you're not sick because if you're sick, you wouldn't be on duty. So there's something that's heart sore. What's bothering your heart? And he says, how can I be happy when the city of God is lying in ruins? So the king says, well, what can I do to help you? So he said, if it pleases the king, then send me and send letters with me. 
give me safe passage all the way back, thousands and thousands of kilometers, and then also give me a letter saying that the reserve bank is going to give me whatever I need. Whatever I need, so open up the, the forestry and because I need all the timber and whatever I need, just send it. So he gets sent, not only that, but the king sends some officers and some soldiers to protect him on the way and gives him an allowance to actually go and build up what was broken down. He gets there and some people kind of a little skeptical, who are you, dude? He doesn't tell them what he's there for. And he quietly goes at night in the darkness. It's like we know how to do. And he surveys what's gone on. He does that for three nights. And he comes back and then he gathers the people. And he says, okay, this is why I'm here. God has called me. God has gifted me with the resources, his favor is upon us, let's rebuild. And so the people say, all right, let's arise and let's build and let's go for it. And so what happens, it's all right, we'll get it sorted. Thank you. So the people who are not builders, they're not contractors, some of them are goldsmiths. Some of them are perfume makers. Some of them are bakers. Some of them are priests. Some of them are merchants. Got a bunch of different people and they say, hey, let's go for it. And they tackle the piece of the wall that's been destroyed that's in front of them. They take responsibility for what they can do even though they've not, in a sense, been qualified and got all of the historical training, whatever, but they, they give it a go. Now you've got another faction who were there before, and they were profiting from the fact that the walls weren't built up because they, had, they were like the mafia, San Ballot and the boys. And they didn't like the fact that there was now going to be law and order. Mafia never likes that. And so they sent all kinds of fake news. They took out, you know, all sorts of campaigns on Facebook and Twitter and said how weak this thing was. And even if a fox jumped on the wall, the wall would crumble down because these people don't know what they're doing. And they jeered and they sneered and they tried to bring intimidation. That didn't work. The guy said, we're just going to build. And so they did. Then they upped the ante and they said, we're actually going to come for you in the night. So then Nehemiah gets some strategy and some wisdom from the Lord. He says, all right, let's put some people where there are low parts in the wall. We'll gather some, some people there with weapons and we'll protect that. And then we'll get everybody to have a sword strapped to them. And when we're building, there'll be a trowel in the one hand and a sword in the other. And would even take extra people and their sole job will be just for protection. And then on top of that, we won't go to home and sleep at home. We will stay 
on the construction site and we'll just stay and sleep here. In fact, they didn't even change out of their clothes. Teenagers say, yeah, sign me up for that. Because they were so committed to seeing this whole thing sorted out. They did what they could do. And God did what only God can do. He kept the enemy at bay. And the supernatural kicked in. There was an acceleration on the project. And they completed the entire project in a phenomenal 52 days. It's extraordinary. And it became like headline news. Sky News, CNN, BBC. Do we still have SABC? Just kidding. In other words, this was a miraculous thing. The glory of the Lord was revealed through what they'd done. Because everyone knew this was not humanly possible. Crazy. Because they get some order into the whole thing, they're then able, because of that order, to then get internal order. And so they, they discover the law, the word, the Torah. And they build this special platform so the guys can see Ezra as he's reading. And there are a bunch of guys, teachers and scribes, and they're going around and they're explaining to the congregation. Men, women, and children are standing there for hours as they're listening to the revelation of who God is and how they're supposed to be living in relationship with this God. And then they start weeping. Howling their heads off. Because they'd missed the mark so badly. And repentance kicks in. And then Ezra and the guys, they run around and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop your crying. They have to say, stop it. They have to shout to get the attention of the people. Stop your wailing. Stop your crying. This is not a day for being down in the dumps and for mourning. This is a day for rejoicing because truth has now come. Rejoice in the Lord for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Go and celebrate and, and share food and have meals together. And if... if if you don't have anything, don't panic because somebody else has got extra and they're going to bring that extra. It's going to be celebration. It's going to be enough for all. And in all of this, Nehemiah stayed humble. Even though there was an allocation of a king's allowance to feed all the people that were working, he took it out of his own pocket. He didn't use his position for self-gratification. Tremendous humility. And when there were social justice issues with the loan sharks, he stepped in and said, brothers, this is not right. We went to the ends of the earth to get our brothers out of slavery, and now you've just enslaved them again. This is not right. And they said, no, no, you're right. And all the debts were forgiven. It's like a jubilee. Debts were canceled. Property was given back. Land was given back. Jubilee. Isn't it amazing? 
And then they restore the worship in the temple. And all kinds of things begin to take place again. As that the three waves from Zerubbabel, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Ezra and Nehemiah, whole clan of people. A little while later, you get a guy called Malachi. He prophesies, hey, someone's coming in the spirit of Elijah. That's Jesus. Comes about 400 years after that. And now you're into New Testament. And that's the whole of the Old Testament right there. All right, I think we're done. Do you want it in point form? All right, let's see if we can quickly do it. Inspiration number one. Prayer and repentance, it unlocks the next chapter of your story. You see, when Nehemiah heard that the gates had been bro- still were broken and the walls were down and all the rest of it, he starts praying. He said, Lord, we have sinned. Me and my father's house, we as a nation, we have sinned. Forgive us. When we come to the point of recognizing our brokenness, our weakness, things we've done wrong, it begins to unlock that next chapter. Yeah? And he prayed. Prayer and repentance hand in hand. We need to recall God's promises. And so he prays. He said, Lord, your, your promise was that you would do this. If we turned, you would turn. So now, Lord, we're turning to you. And so he recalled God's promises. And then he declared that will accordingly. And we want to pray. We want to declare things like that for our own nation, yes? Favor is coming your way to fulfill God's plan in and through your life. Like the king wrote those letters and gave what he needed. When God calls, he's going to provide. God's called you to certain things. God's going to release favor on your life in order for that to be accomplished. God always pays for what he orders. If he's ordered it, he's going to pay for it. Hallelujah. Inspirational point number four, assess the the situation and the conditions. As Nehemiah went around in the night and he checked what was going on there. Faith is not diminished by the facts, but it's fueled by the truth. Denying facts, that's not spiritual, that's just mumbo jumbo. If you're sick, you're sick. It's not to deny your faith to say that I'm sick. It's kind of like, no, I'm sick. This is what I need to ask the Lord to heal. Don't want to make enemies on the first day. Inspirational point number five. Make a start even if you feel unqualified. God calls the unqualified and then he qualifies the call. Take responsibility for what's in front of you. Your section of the wall, go for it. What you can do, do it. What your hand finds to do, run. Amen? Number six. Don't allow dissenting voices to distract you from moving toward your goal. There are many sand ballots around. 
There's so much fake news, false news, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and some of it presents itself as being, you know, this is fact. I mean, if you look at the economy, all these different things, chaps, we have no hope. Ah, but we read a different book, and we saw that at the end of that book, we win. So we serve the God of all hope. There's no such thing as a hopeless situation. Just hopeless people. And we are not hopeless people. We have hope in the Lord. Number seven, build with a sword in hand. Our God will fight for us. Not everything is... You know what I mean? Like, I pray at breakfast time, and by lunchtime, the answer's there. Hallelujah. Sometimes it's pray and pray and pray and pray for, for months and decades. In other words, we still go to war with this thing. The sword is with us. Sword in the hand. In other words, there's warfare. The enemy sometimes, more than sometimes, he comes and he'll try one way, he'll try another way. You, you face a test and you pass the test, fantastic. It's kind of like, yeah, I'll move on to another test, sure. But just remember, in a few years' time, you get to retake the test you once did. This is what slips a lot of people up. It's kind of like, oh man, I totally got that thing sorted out 10 years ago. And now look at me. It's kind of like, you know what? The enemy will come and he will try to find an opportune time for temptation. Try and trip you up. If you fail the test, hallelujah, this is not school. In God's economy, he says, no problem, rewrite. And we just get to retake the test until we pass. Because God wants us to pass. Hmm, that was encouraging, wasn't it? Our God will fight for us. Whatever you're facing, your health, your relationships, your career, your finances, your future, kids, Whatever it is, God will fight for us. If we submit to him, we come on his side. And a good father will protect and defend his own. Hmm. Can I stir a little bit? God is not on my side. This is why we need good theology. It sounds nice. God is not on my side. No, no. Remember the angel, the captain of the hosts, he suddenly appears in front of Joshua. And Joshua says, whose side are you on? Us or our enemies? He says, forget it, I'm on my own side. Do you know who you're talking to? God is not on my side. 
we're on God's side. Big difference. Because it's submitting to Him and what He wants. And as I submit to Him and what He wants, He causes all things to work together for good for those who are called according to His purposes and love Him. He's going to work it out. Why? Because we're on His side. My concern is that when we have bad theology and we sing the songs, God is on my side. And when things go wrong, well, where were you, God? You're supposed to do this. No, he doesn't have to supposed to do anything. He's God and you are not. Hmm. Inspirational point from Nehemiah. Generosity relieves the burden of others. Humility and leadership increases solidarity and it raises productivity. The reason that everyone was prepared to do the kinds of things that they did in extraordinary self-sacrificial ways, even sleeping at their posts, ready with sword in hand, extraordinary commitment, was because of the humility of Nehemiah. He didn't waltz in there and say, you know, I was the cupbearer to the king and so you must do what I say. None of that stuff. Humility. It's a great key for us. Amen? Hmm. Make room for the supernatural, for supernatural acceleration. In these days, with technology, goodness, everything's happening so fast. With God, anything's possible. He can turn things around in a moment. Problems that we thought in our own strength would take years and years and years to solve, he can sort out in a matter of minutes. If we submit to him and we invite him to take over, heaven's resources, remember the blessing, the treasury of heaven, right, gets released. Anything could happen. That's why we love coming to this place. Because anything can happen and it probably will. Hallelujah. And the last point, joy is our secret ingredient. It's like the generator of our strength. Right now we're running on a generator this morning. It's keeping us going. It's empowering us. Joy is the thing that's going to keep you going in 2020. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He's put you in Joyburg for a reason. So start facial exercises. Get yourself ready. Get in shape now. Get that smile going. Because we're going to live in joy. We want an attitude of joyfulness. We rejoice in any circumstance. Because our joy is in the Lord, not in the circumstance. Amen? Amen. Whether things go well or things are bad, doesn't matter. 
our joy, our hope is in the Lord, not in these temporary things. If we put our faith and our hope in human structures and authorities, they will be dis- we will be disappointed. Come on, any and everything that can be shaken will be shaken. That's a promise you can take all the way to your fridge. <laughs> Things are going to get a little bit shaky around here. Middle East, ooh, all sorts of things happening at the moment. Let alone in our own nation. Heaps and heaps of things causing people to kind of like get fearful and panic. It's kind of like, no, no. Peace. My peace, Jesus said, I give to you, I leave with you. He's the Prince of Peace. Stay in that place of peace and we abide in joy. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. We need to be strong as we're going to surge. We're going to be the head, not the tail. Come on, this is a time to get your head up. In fact, I think it would be great for us to end this morning. Sing that song again we sang this morning. Get your hopes up. Now what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to sing it like your voice is already warmed up. And, And sing... A little bit louder because my mom's in the meeting and her hearing is not as good as it used to be. So if you all do me, she's shaking her fingers at me. I'm in trouble now. But if you wouldn't mind helping us all sing a little louder and then she can join in with us. Is that all right? It's time to get our eyes not on earthly things and take our cue from that, but our eyes on the Lord. Is that good? Can other worship team come join us? Maybe you want to stand. Can you take a hand of somebody near you? And just pray for the person on your left. Pray that something of these inspirational truths that have come out of Nehemiah's life would find root in this person's life. There would be a sense of courage and boldness that there's an openness to the supernatural, that they're not worried by the facts, but the faith rises up. That, that, that the provision and the favor of the Lord would, would be surging ahead of them. That's even there before they get to the, the appointment. Begin to pray that there's supernatural protection even as they, they, they war, if you like, with a trowel and a sword, but there would be supernatural protection over their lives. Come on, just begin to pray. Lift your voice. Pray aloud. They want to hear good prayers. Go for it.
turn and pray for the person on your right. And pray for double portion. It's 2020. Double portion. Increase, Lord. Increase. Would you turn it up? Increase the vision, the clarity of vision to see things perfectly according to heaven's perspectives. Pray for courage and boldness to rise up. A strengthening. Even as the scripture says, strengthen the weak arms and the feeble knees. Strength, strength, Lord, strength. Strength emotionally. Strength relationally. Strength with all the resources that are required and needed for the task ahead. Thank you, Lord. You call us to be people who build up, not tear down, but build up, build up, build up. Asking, Lord, use this person, use this person to build the kingdom this year. Strengthen them, Lord. Now put your hand on your head. Just pray for a supernatural infusion of hope and courage and boldness. The fire of the Holy Spirit come upon you right now. The fire of the Holy Spirit release a newfound hope, courage, boldness you never had before. You step into 2020 with a completely different attitude than you've stepped into any other decade before because you just know, you have confidence. God is able. God is able. Hallelujah. Come on, let's sing this together. Let's build our faith together.
God, all things are possible. Amen. I just thought as I was preparing for this week, we needed a special Father's blessing as we enter a new decade. And I, I asked Dad, just turned 88 in December. celebrated their 58th wedding anniversary this week. But a man of God who's seen so much, who's waded through all of the stuff of religion and found life, gave up everything nearly lost his life on the mission field in the 1950s. Came back and pioneered so much for this nation. 
It's a privilege and an honor for us to receive a Father's blessing. So would you welcome my father, Derek Crumpton. Father, as we stand in your presence, in your blessing, we are asking that you reach out to each and every one of us to strengthen, to enthuse, to stabilize our lives. And that as we come into this place week after week after week, that we will meet with you in this place. Mm. That all the privileges and the extraordinary blessings that we have in Jesus will become real in our lives that we will have encounters with the living God. Not just a, a sense of joy or happiness, but real life-changing encounters where you are more real to us than the people with whom we live. More real because you change the deep innermost part of our being. That we build one another up and do not tear down. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Move deeply within us, drawing us to yourself. Directing our footsteps with a sense of really knowing that you are there in our lives. Changing us from one glory to another. May the reputation of this place in the days ahead be one where the very glory of God is released upon us and among us. May there be an ever-increasing hunger for the living God, for the wisdom of God, for the understanding that you give. Send us out into the world where we live, where we move, where we work, where we have our being. And let your light truly, genuinely shine through us. Mm. 
We yield ourselves to you in a new way. Right now, in this minute, have your way with us. May every response from our lips to you be, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. In that way, we will be safe. We will be sure. We will not only be blessed, but we will multiply. Let your kingdom come soon, quickly, speedily amongst us. So the very presence, the very blessing, the very glory of our God descend upon us right now. Right now. May something be happening in your heart, in your mind, in your very being in this minute. There are times when we say, Lord, never let me be the same again. In the very name, the very power, the very being of Jesus. And the people say, Amen. Amen.